Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would look with us to the book of Titus, the book of Titus chapter number one, Titus chapter number one, and we will take our text from there. I want to begin a new series this morning, and we will take us for, I guess, probably about 12 or 13 weeks to go through it, but I want to look at the epistle of Paul to Titus. Titus truly is, it is God's blueprint for the 21st century church, and it's um, God's really, uh, through Paul, is showing the church how we are to behave, the order of the church, what the church is supposed to look like. And so I would like for us to go through the book of Titus and examine God's blueprint that he has laid out for us as believers. I want to read the first four verses of Titus chapter 1. The Bible says, Paul, a, a bond servant or a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. The first four verses of Titus chapter 1 really are the, uh, the groundwork where Paul is giving his greeting to Titus. If you are familiar with the epistles written by Paul, you understand that this greeting is nothing uncommon, nothing unusual for Paul. He typically would begin all of his letters off with a, um, with a greeting of some sort. However, what is different about this one is the length by which Paul goes into laying out his credentials. This particular epistle to Titus, along with 1 and 2 Timothy, are known as um, the, the pastoral or church epistles. Um, in Scripture, we find that this is a transition period in the church. This is a transition period where it is going from a an apostle uh, ministry to the, really to the church, although this is during the church age. To this point, the apostles have been kind of the leaders and heads of the church, and Paul is really laying out an order to First and Second Timothy and Titus. He is laying out the order for the church so that the church might carry on after the apostles are gone. And of course, we know that it has carried on, and you and I are evident of that some 2,000 years later, that the work of God has continued. And so this is really a, a transition period from the apostles leading the church to really elders and church government being autonomous. And so we find that is the case here. Furthermore, it's the final epistle written by Paul before he died. Uh, Titus was written somewhere around uh, A.D. 66, and this was the last letter written by Paul that we have record of before he would die soon after this there in Rome. Of course, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul, and Paul says he has finished his course, he has fought a good fight and kept the faith, and so that was kind of Paul's... Um, farewell to speak of, but really Titus is Paul's final letter. 
And so this is kind of somewhat of the background of what is happening here in Titus. Paul is soon to uh, lay down his life and to become a martyr for the Jesus Christ that he has preached about and loved for so long. The same Jesus that once he persecuted those who followed, and he was a persecutor of the church. Now Paul is about to die, one of our greatest heroes of the church that he once hated so much. We find that Paul took an unusual amount of time. As I said earlier, he took really four verses in his greeting, in his opening remarks of Titus. Um, this is unusual because typically Paul would give just a quick greeting and then he would begin his letter. And yet as we examine this, in Paul's final letter, he really says, I'm a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith. And Paul begins to lay out his credentials as to why his letter is to be received. This somewhat seems um, kind of backwards from what we would expect. Uh, more, uh, and, and from a human perspective, we would expect Paul's first epistle to handle the credentials. And by his last letter, you would think, well, now everybody knows who Paul is. We can just take him. We don't have to question Paul anymore. But really, we find it is reversed when we study the book of Titus. And so I wonder why that is. Surely Titus knows who Paul is. Matter of fact, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 13, you find that, um, that Paul was looking for Titus when he came to Corinth and he was unable to find him and he was displeased because he said that uh, Titus was a man whom he loved and worked with and Paul was unable to find him. Well, 2 Corinthians was written around AD 55, so 11 years prior to the book of Titus, Paul had already called uh, Titus a friend, a, a fellow laborer together. So for at least 12 years, we could say that Paul had knew and worked, had a relationship with Titus. And so uh, now he is very familiar. Titus knows who Paul is. So why would Paul go to that extent of laying out his credentials in this letter to Titus? I believe we have to, under, to understand that. We have to look at the purpose of the letter. And yes, the letter was written to a man by the name of Titus. It was formally addressed to him. But the truth is, these letters, when they were delivered to churches, they were to be read by Titus, but also to the church as a whole. And so, although the letter was written to Titus, it really was written to the local church as well. And, and I think that maybe Paul, uh, on one aspect, thought, you know, the church is growing, there are people who know Titus, but maybe they don't know who I am. I'm Paul, I've been in prison, and maybe there are those who do not know who I am, and so I want them to know that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wanted the hearers to know what Titus already knew, that he was a servant of God. Furthermore, I think that it is possible that Maybe Paul had been in prison for years now. He had not been out actively visiting churches as he once had been. And from a human perspective, I can't help but wonder if maybe Paul wasn't beginning to question his usefulness anymore. I almost wonder if Paul wasn't beginning to think, 
well, you know, I've been locked up for a while. Maybe people have forgotten who I am. Maybe my impact has been imprisoned with me. Now, that seems preposterous to you and I, 2,000 years later, knowing the impact that Paul has had upon the church and the scriptures himself. Yet, from Paul's perspective, he does not know what you and I now know. And so, maybe it was a possibility that Paul was saying, listen, maybe I have been forgotten about. And Paul says, listen, I want you to know that I have credentials that qualify me to speak on behalf of the Lord and and, and give me the authority to, to share with you words of truth. And so Paul begins to lay out here in these verses his credentials, the things that qualify him as a servant of God. Oftentimes, we look at these credentials, we gloss over them, or I'm guilty of that, and we think, I'm going to get past the credentials and get to the meat of the story, and we're going to do that. But this morning, for just a few moments, and if you would humor me and try to listen fast, I've got a lot to cover and a short time to get there. But I do want to look at Paul's credentials for just a moment, because I believe that they are important for all believers, for Christians, that these are the things that verify who we are as children of God. You see, we are commanded to go out into the world and to preach the gospel and to share the good news that Jesus lives, that he is alive, that he saves, that he stands willing and ready to forgive us of our sins. But by what authority do we do that? You and I know, but what about the world? And so I believe as we examine the credentials that Paul lays out, that these are attributes that you and I should also apply to our own lives or seek to make sure that our testimony bears witness to these credentials. The first one here we see is that of service, that of service. Verse number one, Paul, a servant of God. So very, Paul's very first thing was, he said, I want you to know that I am a man of service that serves God himself. How does he do that? He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Paul served by faith and through faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith should be proven by our works, and our works should prove our faith. Paul said, Listen, I am a servant according to the faith. And that Paul said, listen, I, have, I serve, but I serve believing that God is willing, God is able, and God will do. And so as Christians, we are to serve God, but we are called to serve God by faith. I, I'm so glad a minute ago we, we, we approved a budget for the new year. And listen, we've talked about it. This is a faith-based budget. We are stepping out by faith saying, Lord, we are asking you to do above and beyond what we are capable of. And so we have stepped out, took that first step of faith, and now we must serve by faith. And Paul says, I'm a servant of God according to the faith. Do you have faith? 
Do you have faith in your life? Do you have faith in your walk with God? Do you have faith in your service as you serve God? There is a, 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 a video that came out uh, uh, a couple years ago called God's Not Dead. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but we watched that with my girls. And, and if you remember correctly, they're trying to go on vacation to Disney World, and they're trying to get in their car, and every time they get a car... It, the car won't start, they get a rental, it won't start, they get another rental, it won't start, and finally they come out there and the man said, listen, go ahead and bring your luggage with you. He said, the car won't work. He said, go start it. And he goes to start the car and his, and his preacher friend says, no, wait a second, put the luggage in the car first, you have to have faith. And of course he does that and gets in the car starts. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we say, Lord, we're going to trust you, but we're not going to step out by faith, truly believing that you're going to do what you said you would do. And so for the Christian, one of the credentials that we have that this world might look at us and say they are a child of God is when we work by faith. And by faith, we step out and follow God. Why should the world want the Jesus Christ that we claim to know and love if we don't even have faith in him? Our faith is critical. Knowing by faith, it says, but according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth. We should serve God by faith, but also we should serve truth itself. What is truth? I want you to know this morning that God himself, God is truth. And John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Matthew chapter 6. And verse number 24, the Bible says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so we find that we must serve truth, we must live by truth, and so we must serve that way, we must serve God. We cannot serve God and ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, oftentimes, as individuals, as people, we want to serve but we want to serve ourselves, or we want to serve our family, our friends. And there's nothing wrong with being a servant to others, but as a Christian, our primary service should be to God himself. We should serve truth, and Jesus said, I am the truth. What do we live for? Do we want the world to witness, to hear our testimony, to hear the gospel message that we have to deliver? Then we ourselves must live for Jesus Christ. We must serve God. We must serve truth. And then he says, which is after godliness. Thirdly, we must serve through godliness. Godliness simply means conforming to the commands and desires of God. For the Christian, our works or our service should be catered to God's will for our lives and not our own. Those who observe our lives should witness a self-sacrifice and godly commitment. It is that Jesus Christ and the Father might be glorified through our lives. When we serve, who are we serving to bring glory to? Uh, 
don't, not self-serving service that says, listen, I want to work that others might see me or that I might be brought into the limelight or that even our church, we do not serve for North Etowa, that the community might know how great of a church we are. This is not our purpose. Our purpose to serve is that God himself might receive the glory in our lives. It's all about him. We're about to have fall festival coming up. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. But it is not that the community go, wow, look at North Etowah, who they are. But the purpose is that they might come and say, wow, look at the God that they serve. Look how wonderful he is. We serve in godliness. That our lives might be conformed to his commands. Second of all, we see in verse number two, Paul says in verse one, I'm a servant, but in two, he says, in hope of eternal life. Uh, our first, uh, uh, we see the first aspect with which our lives are um, verified to the world is through our service, but second of all, it is through our hope. It is through our hope. Hope is defined as confident expectations or optimism concerning the future. Ultimately, for the believer, our hope is in the return of Christ and in the resurrection of those who are in Christ. We must live by hope. I think that one of the greatest telltale signs of a believer can be displayed with the loss of a loved one who is saved when we have hope. True hope is saying, listen, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that we too may have new life one day. Hope promise, John 14, one through three says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there ye may be also. Paul said in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Our hope is promised. We can have hope in eternity because Jesus Christ that cannot lie promised and said, if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I don't know about you this morning, but that is a promise that I can long for and look forward to. That one day I have hope and assurance that Jesus has promised that he will come again. That blessed promise. Not only was our hope promised, but it was also manifested. Verse number three says, but hath the new times manifested his word through preaching. That hope has been manifested. Luke 24, verses 36 through 39 says, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that is, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, have, as you see I have. 
We said it was manifested, our hope was manifested in that Jesus Christ himself made himself manifested after his resurrection. And because he lives, as the song goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, because he defeated death, hell, and the grave, we have hope that we too can live, that our eternity does not end with our last breath on this life, but there is hope of a tomorrow, of a future, because Jesus Christ himself defeated death, hell, and the grave. And then see, thirdly, we see that it was hope that was committed. It says, which is committed unto me according to the mammon of God, our Savior, verse number three of Titus. It is committed to you and I that we would preach this hope to others. Mark chapter 16, 15, the Great Commission, he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This gospel is the good news. It is of the death, the burial, but watch this. The good news is also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He shed his blood. But, but there's also a wonderful assurance in knowing that he rose from the dead and that we can have assurance because of him. And the Bible says, but go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, preach this good news, share the good news that Jesus Christ lives. It's been committed to us. And then thirdly, the third characteristics of a Christian, um, the third credential of a Christian is that we live by faith. We live by faith. Titus 1 verse 4 he said to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. The common faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, we know the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that which we have confidence of. It's that thing we know without proof. It is to have complete assurance without doubt that says, I have confidence. He said to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, which is that faith that was placed in Jesus Christ. I will say this, that for us to have a testimony to the world, we must first be assured of our own faith with Jesus Christ. How can I convince someone else of the love of God if I myself do not know what that means? But with that faith, that faith that walks with God, there are three things that Paul says. He says, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because we have faith in God and because we have experienced that from God, we also must be willing to show grace and display grace to others. We want the world to hear the message that Jesus saves, then as believers, we must be willing to extend the grace of God. The Bible says we'll be forgiven as we forgive others. Not only that, but we must be willing to display mercy. 
Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jesus Christ is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. We are to show grace to others. We're also to display mercy. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion one for another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, and be courteous. That is, we should have that mercy. We should display compassion on others. We should be willing to display compassion. We've got a great example of that this morning with Brother Jonathan. Brother Jonathan displays this with our benevolence every week. And we have people call the church, and he, he's wise about it. He's not foolish, but um, there are times he's come and asked me what I thought. And Brother Jonathan can tell you, there's sometimes I'm like, Jonathan, I don't know about this individual. And Jonathan began to explain to me why maybe we could help them. And he's got great compassion. I thank the Lord for that. That's what, as a church, we should be willing to do. We should be willing to have mercy on others, even if we don't always understand. Grace, mercy, and then lastly, peace. We should have peace in our own heart. These are the credentials of a Christian that are going to verify that we are children of God. Psalms 23 Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we have know the Lord, we have this peace. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, we know that Jesus Christ walks with us. One of the greatest opportunities we have to tell others about Jesus Christ, to reach and break down the hardened heart, one of our greatest opportunities often is in our greatest trials. When the world says, why trust God now? It's in the valley of the shadow of death. When that peace of God is in our heart, that we might reach out and touch the heart of those who hear. Second Corinthians 13, 11, and I'll be done. It says, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. We are to be people of peace. One, we are to know the peace of God in our own heart. To have this confidence that no matter what we face, we know we do not face it alone, but rather we face it with Jesus Christ. But second of all, we should know how to live peaceably among each other. And the peace of God might be with us and cause us to reach beyond our own hearts and touch those who do not know him. Paul, in his opening to Titus, gave four short verses 
just giving out his credentials and greeting to Titus, but I believe that in that, if we'll listen, there's a message for you and I that what we need to guide and let our testimony be. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer this morning. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit might speak to us. Lord, as we've looked at the life of Paul, and Lord, we see the things in his life that uh, Paul himself considered to be of great importance. Lord, as he writes his last letter, Lord, these are the things about his life that he wishes to highlight and mark. Lord, may you help us to take notice of those things. Lord, that we might be faithful and powerful in our witness to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray.